0: But we're studying in the book of Philippians this morning again. And uh, earlier in chapter two, we've already studied. I'm going to do a little reread on a, on a passage to set the backdrop for us. But earlier in chapter two, Paul, the apostle Paul, who, who wrote to the Philippian church, uh, he was giving them admonitions in chapter two about, um, something that could literally take the church down. He, he was really concerned. Here's Paul. He's in prison far away from uh, Philippi, and he's writing this letter back to the church, and he's saying, I, I want to admonish you. I want, admonishment is a warning. It's like, be careful, because this could really hurt the church. Now, I wonder what it is. That's the question we want to ask ourselves. What What is it that Paul said could really hurt the church? And the question might be to apply that today to say, Okay, we're called Lakeview. What could hurt Lakeview? What could hurt our church? What could hurt any life-giving church here in this community here and in Grant County or anywhere in the world for that matter? You know, he's still in prison, as I said, and, and what he can do is he can pray and he can write letters, but he can't go because he's restrained. And his desire is to shepherd the flock so that they won't be hurt, wounded, or taken down. And, uh, and so I want us to read chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, just to get in mind what Paul is saying. Watch out, because this can take a church down. And we don't ever want that to happen. Philippians 2, 2. Make my, Paul says, make my joy complete by what? Being of the same mind. Church, being of the same mind. Church, maintaining the same love united in spirit. Church, maintaining the same love united in spirit. Church, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind... Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Church, regard others in the church as more important than yourself. Church, Philippians, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So what would you say is the theme of that little passage? The theme, I think, is obvious. It would be love, love for one another, and unity in the body. So if we were to just put that in our, in our minds, in our spirit, as we begin to study this, the, the passage that we're going to read here in just a few moments, it will help us. Because Paul is saying what can take the Philippian church down is a lack of love for one another and a lack of unity. And that can happen right here in this church, and it can happen in a church across town and it can happen in a church overseas anytime there is a lack of love for one another and not putting the brethren ahead of ourselves and walking in a spirit of unity and desire desiring to hold on to unity it can Paul says it can take a church down love and unity as a matter of fact, love actually promotes unity doesn't it? And unity is, is what Satan hates. Satan absolutely hates unity in the body of Christ. He hates it because it flies in the face of his strategy. And what is his strategy? His strategy is to destroy Jesus Christ and Jesus' bride, which is the church. His strategy is to hurt Jesus and to hurt his bride. His strategy is recognizable throughout history. You can look at, at over the court, the timeline of history, and you can see that there is a recognizable effort on the part of Satan to create a lack of love for one another and a lack of unity in the body. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's look at Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. Now, we're talking about what the devil hates and how he uses his strategy to take churches down all the time. And he'll use the same strategy. He'll, he'll do it to take your company down. He'll use it to take your marriage down. He'll use the same strategy to take your family down. He'll do anything he can to divide and conquer. So let's read Revelation twelve seven, and, and John the Revelator says, And there was war in heaven. Michael, the good guy, and his angels, the good angels, waging war with the dragon. Who you suppose the dragon is? Satan, the devil. The dragon and his angels waged war. Now, they're in heaven. And they're waging war in heaven with Michael and God's angels. And they were not the devil's angels, the devil himself and the devil's angels. They were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon, who's the great dragon? The devil, Satan, okay. The great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, remember the the Satan, who came in the form of a serpent, even to to Eve and and Adam. The, the, The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil, that means slanderer. The devil is someone who will talk bad about you, about me, about people we love, about our family, about our church, about the slanderer, the devil slanderer, and Satan, the accuser. That's what Satan means, accuser, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So we can see from the very beginning... That even in heaven, Satan was leading rebellion, pushing toward division and disunity, even in heaven, if you can imagine that. And so what did God do? Kicked him out. That's how serious God is about lack of love and unity. He kicked them out. But love that promotes unity literally permeates Paul's writings. And we see it not just in Philippians, but I want to show you another place where he's writing to a church in Galatia about a similar issue. So let's read a little bit from Galatians 5. Now, I haven't even taken us to Philippians where we're going to go. Hang on, I'm just setting the stage here. Galatians 5, listen to this. Paul's writing to the Christian church in Galatia. And he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. another same thing. Put, putting the needs of others ahead of our own needs. Loving the brethren. He said, but through love, church at Galatia, church at Lakeview, serve one another, church. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you... Catch this. This is tremendous here. But if you, church, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. I mean, that's serious. What, what he's saying is if, 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 if we bite each other... And we devour each other. We are literally killing each other. You know, if you get on the internet right now, I did a little, I'm not going to bore you with the facts, but if you get on the internet and just just punch in, uh, how many species on the earth uh, uh, devour their own young? There's 140 species that eat their own young. They devour themselves. They devour each other. And he's saying, in the church, in the body of Christ, we, we can, not, not only are we not to do it, but it's, but it's serious business with God when that happens. Another, another version of that very same verse 15 there. But if you bite and devour one another, let me read it from a different translation, just verse 15. But if you criticize and attack each other, be careful that you don't destroy each other. He said, church... That can happen, even in a good place. Even with people that are friends, and sometimes long-term friends. And relationships that you thought would never change if you criticize and attack each other. Be careful, you could destroy each other. And that destroys love, and that destroys unity, and that, Paul says, can take any church down. Now, why am I bringing this to to you today is it because i think the church is on its way down and we've got a serious problem with this no it's because it's the next section in philippians (laughs) it comes up you got to deal with the stuff that comes up it's the next subject matter that we need to deal with but it's a great checkup it's a great time for us to check up and make sure how we're doing So, we're going to be moving on in our study in Philippians. I'm going to read it for you right now. But I want you to to park love and unity just over here on the side for just a few moments. And I'm going to read the passage that we want to study, and then I want to make some comments about each of the verses, and then we'll come back to love and unity and wrap it up. So, here we go. We're really studying chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. That's really the lesson for today. And so, Paul says, So then... My beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all how many things? All things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith... I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way. See, that common, that common, in the same way, unity, and share your joy with me. So let's put love and unity over here on the side for just a moment. Every verse that we study has, has insights along the way. And they're not necessarily less important than the love and unity theme, but they have things that will be helpful to us as we study. So I just want to make some brief comment about uh, three or four of the verses. This is like part one. I, I can't I can't take us, I don't have time to take us through the whole piece that I read. But we're going to go through some of the first part of it. So verse 12, let's just put verse 12 up there on the screen. And let's let's think about verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So first of all, these believers in the church at Philippi, they were obviously not pretend Christians. Do you know there are such, there's such a thing as pretend Christians? You know, they, they they came in at some point in their life and, and maybe they raised their hand at the end of a service or they said a quick sinner's prayer or whatever and thought they did what they needed to do and, and there was there was there was no real depth to it and there was no follow up to it and, and it's just like it dried up on the vine, it never went anywhere, it never so to speak, it never really took, so to speak. There are pretend Christians or people that, that maybe never even prayed that kind of a prayer and they just attend church. And they think that somehow God's going to recognize that as something good. And so if there really is a God, there really is a heaven and hell, they they may hopefully get to go to heaven because they did some good things or whatever. Paul says that he knows that these Philippian Christians are consistent in their obedience to Christ. It's whether Paul is watching them or not. It's whether the shepherd is observing them or not. Now, we know they were not perfect Christians because there's no one perfect except Jesus. So these Christians must have made some mistakes like you and I do from time to time and had sin from time to time. But Paul says that in the midst of that, they were authentic. These Christians at Philippi touched Paul's heart because he said, they're the real deal. They are authentic. And you can tell authentic from uh, 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 that which is pretend Because they they, they don't care who's watching or not. They're they're living a consistent obedience to to what Paul has taught Jesus wants them to do. do, Whether they're being observed or not. And so, when we realize how much Jesus has loved us. I mean, when that really strikes home, how much Jesus has loved us. When we have an authentic experience with Christ... We end up, and you're going to resonate with this because you know what I'm talking about. We have this genuine desire to be faithful to Jesus. Once we realize how, how how what a terrible place we were in, and how much Jesus loved us to go to the cross and and paid our debt and 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 loved us so much, there's a compelling love for Jesus that causes us naturally to want to be obedient, whether Whether he's watching physically or not. Whether the, whether the preacher's watching or not. He's not the judge, but, or whether your Sunday school teacher's watching or not. Or whether your parents are watching or not. Or whether your, your, your teacher at school is watching or not. There's a, there's a certain obedience because, because of our love for Jesus and how he wants us to live. And so, that's impressive to me. And so my, my prayer is that there's not anyone listening on the internet or listening in this room that, that doesn't love, doesn't feel so compelled because of the love Jesus has already given us that they, they want to be the real deal when people are looking and when they're not. Now, let me ask this question. What does it mean to work out your salvation? Oh my goodness, there have been books. There have been series of books Written on that little phrase there. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let me go to the tail end of it. What does that mean with fear and trembling? I think it means God's serious. You you need to realize the majesty, the power, and the authority of God. and, And so realize it that you almost tremble at it. As you're thinking about working out. Your salvation. Now, many people... Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. What it does not... Say not. What it does not mean is that by working hard at following the rules, that a person can find salvation. It does not mean that. A person could interpret it that way, but that is not what it means. We're saying... Listen carefully. If, If you don't have a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ... Listen to this, because this is the insight to it. This is what many of us in this room know. We are saved from our sins the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ as God's Son, who died to save us, and our love for Him compels us to serve Him with all of our hearts. We are saved by grace through faith. So, if you have faith in Jesus and your love for him and what he did to forgive us our sins compels you to serve Jesus with all your heart, you're saved. Ephesians 2 8 and 9. Listen. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let me read it to you in a different translation. God, God saved you through faith as an act of His kindness. You had nothing to do with it. Being saved is a gift of God. It's not the result of anything you've done. Why? So that no one can brag about it. Now, God does say to us that we are to exercise faith. But it is God who saves us. It's God who does does the work. But it's, so, it's sort of like... God has given the antibiotic to help us deal with strep. Strep stands for sin in this little illustration. Bad sore throat, strep. Strep stands for sin. God has given us the antibiotic that will kill the strep bacteria. And you believe that it's going to work because you've seen other people get better as a result of it. But we must exercise our faith for that to become a reality. Exercising our faith with the antibiotic is you got to put it in your mouth and swallow it. You, you've got to, by faith, exercise that. And so, and so that, that's really what that's talking about. Our works don't save us. And it is everything about God that makes it available. And it's even God who gives us the faith to do it. But we got to put the pill in our mouth. This is how best I can explain it. Got to put it in and swallow it. And God's measures for that sin problem, that strep problem, has been taken care of at the cross. Now think about this. In world religion uh, thinking, there there are two schools of thought in attempting to explain something we call the sanctified or the set apart or uh, the the holy life. In in other words, once a person exercises that, that faith that God gives us, and we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we're saved as a result of that faith. Then God says, because of your great love for what Jesus has done and our great love for God, we are compelled in our hearts. It's not because we want to go to heaven or because we're going to get in trouble. Yeah, all that stuff can happen. But but it's really because we want to do the things Jesus has, has said for us to do. Because we're so in love with Him for what He did for us. So in other words, how does a person become righteous after they're saved? How how does a person we're 100% forgiven when we're saved, are 100% forgiven. We're not 100% righteous because we're to grow in our righteousness. We're to progress in our in our holiness. Now, there's some special things that can happen as we draw close to God in sanctification and things that we believe where there's a, a, a unique work of God that really strengthens us and helps us to, to move light years ahead of where we might have been. But, but, but there is this growing aspect to, uh, to becoming more holy before God. And so you have this thing called passive trust or active obedience, which is it? To become more holy before God, is it a passive trust? Well, I just trust Jesus. Somehow, you know, he's gonna he's gonna get me through, and I don't know. Uh, just don't get excited. Jesus is on the throne, and everything's gonna work itself out. That's passive. And 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 I'm not criticizing that because there, there's a part of that that's really precious and beautiful, but there's another side that says there's something called active obedience. In other words, it's God said in the Ten Commandments, "Thou shalt not kill." And so, what does He mean? Don't do that. He says, "Thou shalt not bear false witness." What does that mean? Active obedience says, "I don't lie." I mean, there's an active part to this, and then there's a passive trusting of God. To work with us in 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 both ways. Now in 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 uh, Christendom, we would divide that into two kind of two names, and you can, you can do your own study on this. There are the Pietists, and there are the Quietists. The Pietists are aggressive toward correct doctrine and moral purity. Now, some of us who have been members of the church for a long time got these reaffirmation sheets that we were asked to fill out. And, we'll, and we saw that, man, that's aggressive. Man, that's, you know, I've got the denomination pushing me and telling me about the rules and the doctrine and I never had to do that before and it bothered us a little bit. Some of us, maybe all of us it did. And, and that's to be understood. But there's another side. The Pharisees were like that. The Pharisees were an example of this in the New Testament. Lots of rules, lots of regulations high accountability, lots of judgmental attitudes about people's behavior toward others, a lot of pride in the midst of it, and it often moves toward legalism and a critical spirit if we're not careful. And it doesn't mean that there's not a place for obedience to the Ten Commandments and obedience to the standards. There's a place for that, absolutely. But then we've got the second group called the quietists. And the quietists are kind of passive and they're a little more subjective. And they're focusing a little more on the personal experiences and, and the feeling of, of what happens when we draw close to Jesus. And when we get close to Him, it's just a tremendous warm fuzzy, and it just inspires us, and it causes us to want to just do wonderful things for Jesus. And we feel so special and so close to Him, and there's just bond, and it's just a wonderful thing. And so so if faith in Jesus is what saves us, Then what Paul is talking about when he tells the Philippians to work out their salvation, and I want you to listen carefully because I don't want to get misquoted on this. This is, this is a way to understand what Paul was saying. And these are my words. They're not the Bible. So you check it out. But I think this will, I think this will preach. Since you are saved by faith in Jesus, and since you feel compelled to love Him and serve Him, And since God says, without holiness, we cannot see God, that's where holiness comes in. We're already saved, but there's a holiness piece. Hebrews 12, 14, Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification, that's hagiosmos, that's the Greek word for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So since we are saved, there's a work detail that God gives everybody who's saved. Everybody who's saved has a work detail. I I wasn't in the military, but I, I, I just know from listening to people that are in the military and have a background in that, you get various details, and you better do it, and you better do it when they say to do it. And we've got a work detail when we get saved, something that God has prescribed for every believer. We're going to heaven because of our faith. But while we're waiting for heaven, God is working holiness into our lives, which we did not have before we trusted in Jesus. We didn't have that. We didn't have God working in our lives, producing holiness. Now, remember, good works in other religions... May, in fact, be good deeds. But to God, they are dead works. They don't count with God. They're dead works. Why are they dead works? Even though they're good things. Because they are not approaching God by way of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the scripture says that the only way to approach God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not anybody else, but through, amen, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And the holiness that, that God is working in us is to be worked out of us through our efforts. What efforts? Efforts to pursue love. Efforts to pursue unity. Efforts to pursue peace with our brothers and our sisters who are sitting beside us and behind us and in front of us and all around us. That's how that's wor- that holiness, God is working that holiness out Through us. So, in so many words, that means that God is serious about how we treat one another in the body of Christ. God's really serious about that. And sometimes sometimes we, we forget about it. We get caught up in relationships and causes and projects and ideas and opinions and all this stuff. And this is really serious to God. Wes McAdams is a preacher. He kind of said it this way. Now, this is where I want you to listen carefully because I don't want you to take this out because it may at first sound like salvation is not complete. But as soon as we have faith in Jesus Christ, our salvation is complete in that sense. We're forgiven. But here's what he said, and I quote, So in other words, salvation is not worked out in our lives. In other words, it has not been completed in us. Forgiveness is completed, but the salvation as a, as a, as a, uh, as a process, it's not completed in us until we are of one mind and spirit with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So in verse 14, we haven't come to it yet, but we're going to see when there is grumbling or disputing in the church, that is when we need this admonishment to work out our salvation. That's when we need to be reminded if there is any encouragement in Christ, then be of the same mind, unquote. So we really have no choice in the matter. It's not really my opinion. It's not your opinion. We we don't have a choice in the matter. The true church of Jesus Christ is to operate in love, in unity, pursuing peace with one another, period. Everything outside of those parameters is likely to be self-centered and self-willed. All right, that's enough for verse twelve. All right, let's look quickly at verse thirteen. They won't all go that long. For it is put that for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. In other words, God is enabling us to have the right attitude toward each other first. And then, once we get the right attitude about one another in the body of Christ, then we are expected to put those attitudes to work by loving one another. And listen, this is what captures the attention of the world. When the true church of Jesus Christ is predominantly loving one another and walking in unity together this captures the attention of the world the world is not used to seeing that happen in fact it, it can't happen without the power of god working in our lives is what i believe it's the loving one another in a spirit of unity that blows their minds and it attracts people to jesus and the church so churches that drop that dip their sails and, and, and they drop their guard and they may not mean to do it and they may slip once in a while just in a fit of temper or just having a bad day or whatever it is. But churches that have things like gossip, things like slander, things like rudeness to people, uh, things like people who are judgmental and who have sharp tongues and who have sometimes unforgiving spirits, they're unattractive to the communities that we serve, because no one wants to be around somebody that's not loving. You want to, you want you want to marry somebody like that? You want to live with somebody like that the rest of your life that's not loving? You, you you want to go to a church where the people are not loving to one another? Why would you want to go to a place like that? Do you want to work in a place of employment where people aren't kind to one another? Some of you do, and you know what it's like. It's not very much fun, and it doesn't make you feel excited to go to work in the morning. So this is a tremendous thing about attractiveness of a church to a community. No one wants to be around people who do these other things. And so then he continues his admonition to the church in verse 14. And oh my, this kept me awake. I I could not get to sleep last night over this verse. (laughs) And I had the prayer team pray for me. And I said, you need to pray for me because verse 14 is hard. Verse 14 is, is hard to have to put out there to the body. In fact, I finished this message starting at 3 o'clock this morning because I couldn't go to sleep. My, my wife said, what, so how long you been up studying? I said, well, I said I never did go to sleep because I had this on my mind. I couldn't go to sleep. And at 3 o'clock this morning, I said, forget it. I'm just going to go get with God and try to get this down. And I did. And I probably look like it. I'm sorry if I look like a bags under eyes, the whole thing. But, but this, this really grabbed my spirit to try to understand this for myself. And to make sure that whatever, whatever, however I describe it to you, that it makes sense to you. That your spirit is able to receive it. He says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Now the Greek word for grumble there has to do with something we would, we would describe it as muttering under our breath. That's what grumbling is. It's like somebody just cut you off on the bypass. I mean, just about caught your bumper, caused you to have to call the cops and have an accident report and have to take it to the body shop and be inconvenienced without a car for a while and whatever. Somebody just absolutely cut you off and just about caused you a major problem. And, and, and you say something, you know, you start to go, <laughs> loser, doofus, idiot, goofball, pinhead. You know, I mean, you know, you're thinking these things. Don't we, don't we're tempted to do that? We are tempted to do that. And it's really bad if we do that in the body of Christ. That's that's really bad if we do that. It's bad if you look at your Sunday school teacher and say, Doofus, idiot, loser. Get somebody else to teach. (laughs) And the second word he says is, Do it without grumbling, muttering. And then he says, without disputing. Now, disputing in the Greek is like giving voice to the grumbling spirit. In other words, it's like saying, "Okay, so like, I'm going to make that guy just cut me off, and I went, hum, 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 and then I'm going to force him over to the side of the road, and 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 I'm getting out of the car first, and I'm going back to their car, and I'm going to explain something to him. I'm going to explain to them my rationale, the reasoning that I have for feeling like they were an idiot." a doofus, a pinhead, a, a terrible driver. And I'm going to explain it to you and you're surely going to agree with me because it makes perfect sense to me. So it's giving voice to the things that aggravate our spirit. One is muttering, the other is putting feet to it and doing something about it. And, and the sad part about it is it's, it's nothing but poor advertising to the world when we do that. Now let me show you how serious God is about this in the church. 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. He said, we know that we have passed out of death into life. In other words, we know when we have been truly saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Because, how do we know? Because we love the brethren. That's how. You want to know if you're saved? Do you love your brothers and sisters in the church and around the world? Do you love them? Because if you're having a hard time loving them, you might want to get back to the basics. (laughs) Because that's what he said. He said, we know we've passed out of death. And we're saved because we love brothers and sisters in Christ. He or she who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, you may be thinking, I never murdered anybody. I haven't killed anybody. This doesn't apply to me. But Galatians 5.15 said, Be careful, because as you criticize and attack one another in the body of Christ, be careful that you don't destroy somebody. That's murder. That's killing. Destroy means to kill somebody it's not just with a bullet or a bow and arrow or a knife or a bomb. It is with our tongue, with our attitude, with our critiquing of somebody from time to time and filleting somebody, even if we're right and they're wrong. He says, don't, don't do that. And that's a serious phrase in verse 14. He who does not love abides in death. Now you can see why I laid awake. I laid awake because I'm, I'm applying this to my life. I am applying, that's what you should be doing this morning. I, I'm laying there trying to go to sleep and I can't get to sleep because I'm thinking about this, this issue of loving in unity the brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm going back over 46, 47 years of ministry and I'm wondering, God, How did, how have I done on this? How am I doing right now? Right here at Lakeview? How am I doing? Doesn't matter what the board thinks, doesn't matter what all of you think, does matter, but that's not, that's not the deal. What matters is what does God think of how I conduct myself with my staff, with my lay leadership, with each one of you that I pass in the hallways or where we, we, we see one another from time to time, and, I, and I'm saying, God, I, I, I know what I think about it sometimes, but, but I don't think what I think is necessarily what you think, because it looks to me like this is really serious. With fear and trembling, I laid there. Do you understand why I couldn't go to sleep? With fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. How am I doing on this just as one man? What if I told you every church has a meanie? You know what I mean by a meanie? <laughs> it's like it's not eeny meanie miny moe but a meanie, a mean. We used to have a. <laughs> I should be careful with this, this doesn't get back to my last church, but we had somebody on staff, a a, a person who answered the phones and and uh <laughs> well her, her name her name rhymed with meanie, let's just put it that way. And so she was nicknamed Meendra. Meendra. Why was she nicknamed that? By many people. Because she had a way about how she communicated with people that many people saw as mean and caustic and painful and hurtful from time to time. And sometimes those folks tend to be the pietists who rule with judgment. And they have strong personalities, And sometimes they can chew you up and spit you out if you're not careful. If you ever get on the wrong side of one of them, you're in for the ride of your life. You know what I'm talking about. Because they'll flat tell you something about yourself. And we all need to hear that once in a while, but it doesn't have to be mean. That's what I hear Paul saying. It doesn't have to be mean. And here's what I've found out over almost 47 years of ministry. If, If you run across a meanie, and you smack one of them down, the devil raises two more up in their place. There's always somebody waiting in line to take to, to be a meanie. I, I mean, they just it's just the way it works. I don't know why. Seems like it anyway. Self-appointed critics who say and often sometimes they even write things, they write anonymous things, they they write cruel and cutting things and, and say those things in the body of Christ sometimes. And, and they may actually be true. They may actually be on target in terms of the truth of the matter. But it's how it's communicated. And it's, how, it's the impact that it has upon a person. Did you see what she wore last week? That dress had to be six inches above her knees. Who does she think she is anyway? Why were they thinking taking an expensive vacation like that? I know what kind of job that guy has. He didn't make that kind of money to take his family on that kind of a vacation. must have cost him an arm and a leg. And I wonder if he's even giving to the church. Why'd they give her a solo in the service? I've been in the choir for 10 years now. They never asked me to sing a special. Who does she think she is anyway? And I don't even like her voice. (laughs) Now, I'm just making up stuff here, you know. And we could have fun. Anybody got one you want to? No, don't don't go there. (laughs) Okay, here, I got to wrap this up. Jesus, here's what Jesus said He said, I am the light of the world. Come on, phone. Cooperate. Cancel. There we go. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I came from heaven. I came into a dark place. I was light. I am light. They put me on a cross. They crucified me. They took my life. And I overcame death. And I was raised back to life by the power of God. And then I showed myself to many people for a number of days. I'm the light of the world. And then... I levitated right in front of them up to be with my Father and sit at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. He said that. I left this world. The light of the world left this world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, and I left. Well, here's the good news for us. Jesus is with the Father now. And so he says, I'm not in the world now, but I have sent the Holy Spirit to live in my followers. You can't get the Holy Spirit if you don't have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, Jesus says, I've sent the Holy Spirit, who is God, to live in my followers' lives. And for now and until Jesus comes for his church, now we are the light of the world. Matthew 5.14 You now, you now, Amos, come here, please. You are... Now hold this out. Hold this out for people. So there are people that don't know which way to walk. We shut all the lights off. And now, now, Amos... The Holy Spirit is in you because you know Jesus, you love Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm gone, I'm I'm off the earth now. I was the light of the world, but I'm back in heaven now. I have dispatched God the Holy Spirit to live in you. And now you and you, church, and me, church, are now the light of the world. Thank you. Isn't it amazing that God would entrust that to us? I'm going to turn this off real quick. Oh, well. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine. Let your love and your unity in the body of Christ so shine that people may see your good works. What good works? Good works of love and unity and pursuing peace in the body of Christ. That it will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our good works means stopping our tongue stopping our tongue from wagging sometimes and pursuing peace with one another and learning to love even the unlovely and practicing a unified spirit. That my friends is attractive to the world. That's how this place gets filled up when we do a better job of that every one of us. Just yesterday, I prayed with a backslidden young man who's having problems with his ex-wife. His daughter was arrested for selling drugs in school. She got kicked out. He has a love for God, and he knows he needs to repent and come back to God. Went to our Christian school years ago. and, and but, but he was, I said, come back to Jesus. Repent of where you've been, because we both know you're miserable. This is not working. You've come to the end of yourself. And even your friends and your ex-wife and your daughter and the people that are around you are totally lost and having trouble navigating life. You're telling me about it on the phone. And you know what the answer is. You know that 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 they need Jesus Christ. And what if you were the one God has dispatched to tell them how to find their way through life with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And I said... Repent. Get on your knees when we hang up this phone. I'm praying for you. Get on your knees and ask God to forgive you and to come back to Jesus. And then get back in church so the church can nurture you and encourage you. And you know what he said? He said, well, I'd like to, but I'm afraid the church would judge me. He's talking about Lakeview. He said, I'm afraid to come back here because I'm afraid people that know me will judge me. He said, i got tattoos all over my arms and I'm afraid people are going to talk about me. And he said, people used to know me as a young man and they knew that I professed Jesus and and they've heard the stories of how I've gone so far away from God and he was afraid people would talk about him. And so I told him over the phone, I talked with him for 20 minutes or so, and I said, listen, that isn't going to happen, not here, not at Lakeview. That is not going to happen if you will come back to Jesus. People will be glad that you've come back to Jesus. And I said, if anybody did that to you, I want to know their names. Because I'm going to go talk to somebody that would do that. Instead of criticizing him, because I thought all those things I was talking about earlier. Loser, idiot, pinhead. Why did you drift from Jesus? You were taught what the right things were to do. Now you got off center. And then you want somebody to, to nursemaid you back into the deal. I could have said all those things in my heart in my life. But instead of criticizing him, I tried my best. I said, God, help me speak words of life into his spirit. And I reminded him how much Jesus loves him right where he is right now. Amen? right where he is right now. And you could be in a place like that yourself, listening on the internet or right here. Jesus loves you right where you are right now. And instead of muttering under my breath, like Paul said, don't do that. I reminded him of all the people that he knew who were having trouble navigating life. And I said, God may choose to use you to give them the answer. Now, I will confess to you that this message isn't so much about you. (laughs) I know you might have thought that. But that isn't really what's in me. It isn't so much about you and everybody else. It's about me. I started my life as a pietist. You see, I was taught the Word of God early in my life. A pietist, remember? Aggressive, rule-oriented, moral purity, doctrinal purity. Get it right and do it right. And if you don't do it right, get your act together. (laughs) It's kind of active, you know. And I learned early in my life that there were certain things that you should do and not do. And when I was around people that would do some of those things, and it would just, as a pietist, it would aggravate my spirit. It wasn't that I was trying to condemn people, but it's like, how can you say you love Jesus and talk like that? How can you say you're in love with Jesus and you're compelled to follow His His ways and do things like you're doing and things of committing adultery and taking the Lord's name in vain and staying away from church and robbing God of the tithes and the offerings and 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 church hopping and all kinds of nonsense that happens and should not happen in the body of Christ. And so I I struggled and I still do sometimes keeping a spiritual civil thought in my head and sometimes keeping my tongue and my mouth shut when I see things. When I see people who say they love God and they behave poorly. And I have to beat that down like an ugly ape in my spirit sometimes. That's why I laid awake at night. that's, That's just not about you. You apply it. You apply it to your own self. And so you see how well you sleep in terms of how you speak to one another. And I, I, I haven't always done it that well. And even, even at my season of life, and knowing what I should know by now, I have even failed at that in this assignment from time to time. And I know it. Now, here's the problem. As a shepherd, it's my responsibility along with other overseers, some of our staff and some of our lay leaders. It's part of my responsibility as a shepherd to know the sheep. It's part of my responsibility as a shepherd to know which which of the sheep are compliant. Which of the sheep uh, like to sleep near the gate at night so they can slip out and graze somewhere during the nighttime where the wolf Uh, can get them and drag them away from the flock? Which ones are frail and it's easy for them to get sick? Uh, Which ones like to bite and kick? Which ones are a delight to oversee? And there are, I have to tell you as a pastor, there are times when that line gets really thin between spiritual assessment of how to interface with the flock and judgment. Judgment. Sometimes that line is really thin. It is really thin. And I I have blown it sometimes. It's every spiritual leader's dilemma at times. So I want to close with this thought. Speak life. Speak life words into your wife's heart to the best of your ability and ask God to help you. Speak life words. Into the heart of your wife. Speak life into your husband's spirit. Speak life into your children's memory banks. Speak life into your Sunday school teacher's heart. Speak life into the people in the foyer and people that you pass back and forth uh, in the hallways at church. Speak life into the spirit of your pastoral team. Speak life into these pastors' lives and these lay leaders' lives. Speak life into them. Because if we're going to impact our community, then we've got to be in it to win it. we got to be all in. In it to win it. And we win it with love. We win it with unity. We win it when we pursue peace with one another. Oh Lord, please preserve love and unity in this body. And when I when I hear the opposite of love and peace and unity, help me change the subject. I worked in a great church. Cynthia and I were in a great church before we came here. About 2,600 people. And I can remember... I was the executive pastor and the missions pastor at that particular time. And I can remember sitting on the second floor of this beautiful building that had been built. And I can remember looking around, and there were aquariums all around, all around us. It was a coffee shop up there, but aquariums. And, and they were for the school. We had a Christian school of about 850 students. And so the senior pastor, was a, he was an aquarium guy. He was a fish guy. He just loved going down to the fish shop and buying these exotic fish, tropical fish or whatever. And there was a fund that, that was available through the, through the school that, that, that he could do projects that, that would help stimulate the students' lives. And so he had worked out to, to, to just buy these beautiful aquariums, great big ones, big ones. And I can remember sitting up there one day and uh, about four or five of our staff, the custodian was there, the building maintenance guy was there. And three or four of the pastors were there. And they got to talking about those aquariums. And, 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 the, and the building uh, maintenance guy said, Oh man, he said, I hate those aquariums. Man, he said, one started leaking and it took me two and a half hours last night to get it all mopped up. I don't know what he's thinking about buying all these aquariums and put spending all this money on these exotic fish. And then one of the other pastors said, I'll tell you what, I'd love to have just a half of what he spends on those fish for my ministry department. I don't know what he's thinking. He's got rocks in his head, pinhead, doofus, idiot. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Talking about the senior leader, shepherd of the church and so I just I just butted in I burst in and I and I said hey you guys know what time the Christian school basketball team plays tonight they looked at me like I was crazy because they've been spending the last five minutes having the senior pastor for dinner and I said hey you guys know what time the basketball game is tonight they looked at me and said "What's crazy and then they started in again and I just got up and I walked out of the room and I went downstairs to my office And I sat there and I said, God, I tried. I tried to change the subject. I tried to teach them a better thing. And they went right back to the vomit. And about 30 minutes later, a couple of the pastors came to my office. And they said, you weren't very happy with that discussion upstairs, were you? And I said, oh, you noticed? (laughs) You noticed? Yeah, I said, That's never good. Even if you're right, even if he spent too much, even if it was not a good choice, that's not how the body of Christ and especially pastors should be behaving in the work of the kingdom. And so I would say when you hear things like this and when people grumble and when they dispute and when these things happen, change the subject. Help people. Some people are so stuck in a rut in negative mindset that they can't get on the positive and they need a little help and pray for them. Now, here's what I thought I'd close the service. I thought I I would close the service and I would say, God, I'm going to the altar just for me. And then open it up for anybody else that felt like God was speaking to them this morning and that they could do better. That you could do better. God spoke to you to do better. And I felt like, I I think I know what would happen. Nobody's going to (laughs) come. I'll be the only one down there. I'll be the only one. Well, thankfully, I'm not the only one so far. So I want to have a word of prayer. And if anybody, look, this does not mean people have been naughty, nasty, or mean, or whatever. It's God, listening to God and saying, I could refine my serve. I, I just could do better. And I know that it will bless the church when that happens. And so if you'd just like to get up out of your seat and come and say, God, help me to be more, more productive. In my marriage, more productive in my family, more productive in my Sunday school class, more productive in the foyer, in the hallway. God, forgive me when I have missed missed the mark on love, unity, and pursuing peace. And I want to just have a prayer for you. Now, while they're coming, we're going to pray. But I want you to know, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you just need to right now just say, God, I, I need that kind of help. I need that Holy Spirit he was talking about to help me navigate life. And I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of myself. I just don't know where else to turn. So I might as well turn to Jesus. And so, Jesus, I believe that God is helping me put my faith in you. And I believe in what you did on the cross, that you paid my sin debt. And I, and when I think about you would do that for me as, me, as, as I've messed it up, I, I'm compelled to love you. And I'm going to do my best to, to love you and serve you. So come into my life and save me, Jesus. And now, Father, for those who have felt led to come and just have a talk with you, as I am, I'm saying, God, have mercy on my tongue. Have mercy on my spirit. Have mercy on my attitudes. Have mercy because I have not always demonstrated love. I have not always pursued unity. And I have not always pursued peace. And sometimes I've looked out for myself and I've stood up for myself and I've made a mess of things a few times. And I've probably hurt your witness and I've hurt my own witness. And so I'm confessing it to you and asking you, God, just put greater love in my heart for the brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to be such a a family of love and peace and unity that this whole county is like a huge magnet and sucked right into this place because there's no place like this place anywhere around this place because of love, unity, and the pursuit of peace. Forgive us where we failed. Strengthen us. There are probably, Father, many in the seats that didn't come, but they're, they're talking to you right now. And we're asking you for a miracle and for a change in our countenance. And if you need to adjust our personalities, help us to do it. And God, help me to be a more effective and loving and and peaceful pastor and leader here in this place. And forgive me and may those who may have been offended by my error, forgive me. And I thank you for the cross that makes that possible. We love you. Thanks for hearing our prayers. Do a deep work in us today, I pray. And all of God's people said together, Amen, and praise the Lord. God bless you. You've been so wonderful. I ran over a little, but thank the Lord for his truth that is always guiding us and leading us to higher ground. Let's stand. Father, bless these people as they go forth. May they hug one another. May they smile at one another. May they, may they ask forgiveness of one another if necessary. And, and give us a good word, life words that we can speak into the people of this community and especially into this body of Christ. Protect us from harm. Fill us afresh with your spirit and bring us back together again to love you and to serve you and to praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great, great day in the Lord. Love one another.